Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. Welcome to church, everybody. Thank you, Pastor Tom. Thank you, worship team. That was so great. Welcome to church on December 12th, December 12th, 2021, the year of our Lord. Uh, You've taken time out of your busy season uh, to worship Christ this Christmas, and that means you understand the reason for the season. You understand uh, what we are making a celebration of this Christmas. One of the ways we're celebrating Christmas is by worshiping together at Rockbrook. We're in week two of a three-week series called The Line, and I hope you'll join us next weekend as well as we look at why Jesus is worthy of Christmas. Uh, I'm titling the message, Who Was Really in That Manger? And uh, is that really the God of the universe, and how can we know? And it's a great weekend to bring your uh, friend with you to church or a family member. Uh, You'll be edified, built up in your faith, and uh, they'll walk away understanding why you believe uh, Jesus is the Son of God and the proof that Christmas brings us. Rockbrook for Kids is doing amazing things during this time, shining the light of Christmas. Uh, another way we celebrate Christmas is with our Christmas Eve services, and uh, we'll announce this at the end of the service as well, but I just wanted to tell you those are going to be awesome, uh, something great for you and your family. A lot of prayer, a lot of work is going into those, and we've put all of our attention into that opportunity that week, those Thursday and Friday Christmas Eve services, so we won't have services on Christmas Day or on Sunday the 26th. I am recording something that will go out on the 26th that I think you'll love, uh, but you can worship with us for those Christmas Eve services. And the way we're doing those is we can't stream those. We're doing those in person only. Can't stream it online, but we will record the sermon and post that on Christmas Eve. I know it's a handful of details, and but we've got those up in several different places, and we'll do a good job of getting those details out. Just celebrate with us on that Thursday. That uh, Someone told me this week, you're celebrating Christmas Adam. I was like, what's Christmas Adam? They said, well, Adam came before Eve. So you've got Christmas Eve and Christmas Adam, and we're celebrating that this week, and uh, we're so looking forward to that time. One more way that we celebrate Christmas is through the celebration offering and this uh, Thanksgiving offering that we bring at the end of the year. Thank you for giving to that. It allows us to do several big acts of generosity. One of them uh, that we've already been able to give to is Covenant Life Chapel as a church in New Delhi, India. It's pastored by Jeremy Dawson. They're a purpose-driven church that started in 2016, uh, but they are just now. Let's put up a picture. I took just a screenshot of one of their online services from the other day, and this is Pastor Jeremy here. They started meeting in 2016. They're just now coming out of the pandemic shutdown over there, and 115 people are meeting in person. They've got about that many online as well, and they need, uh, they need help in reestablishing uh, their church, renting a venue, paying salaries, purchasing some necessary equipment, and we've been able to send them $7,000 out of the celebration offering to meet those needs. So thank you for giving to that, and more that comes in will be able to help in different places, in different areas. 
I think it's just going to be so much fun uh, when the church, all of the church gets gathered in heaven and we see how we were supporting one another and just the network of support that, uh, that churches and things that you didn't even know about that, that you helped be a part of. And it's going to be so much fun in those days. I look forward to it. Okay, we're in this series called The Line. And this week I want to look at another person in the accounts of Christmas and that is the person of Joseph, Mary's fiance, then husband, Joseph. And uh, let's just put, put yourself in his shoes for a moment. Here I am, Joseph. I've just learned that the girl I'm engaged to is pregnant. And it doesn't make sense. Everything that I know about her, everything that I've experienced with Mary, it doesn't make sense that she would be pregnant. And not only that, she's telling me that uh, an angel has visited her, has come to her, and has told her that this is a virgin birth, and none of it makes any sense. And the question is, what do you do in life when it doesn't make sense? Or don't put yourself in Joseph's shoes, put yourself in your shoes, because you are <laughs> in your shoes, and there are things happening in your life that do not make sense. What do you do when life doesn't make sense? And I think that's the question of Joseph's life. One of the life's biggest questions is the title of today's message is, will I still follow God when things don't make sense? Will I trust God when life doesn't make sense? And ultimately, as you look at this, uh, it really comes down to a question of obedience. Because when you study Joseph, you see that it just pretty much came down to that. Will I obey God when life doesn't make sense. And that word, obedience, is a tough word for many of us. Even though it's all throughout the Bible, I even hesitated to use the word because it has so much baggage with it. It's such a, we take it as a negative word, but it's the, it's the Bible word, and that's the one I want to bring to you. But if you want to see how negative it is, just search obedience on the internet and the first couple of pages you're going to see, what do you think are the main hits when you search obedience online? Dog training, dog obedience school. And that's just kind of the idea, and that's the negative connotation we get with it. And I know for a lot of people, obedience is this idea of unwilling compliance. But that's not the picture of obedience in our relationship with God. It's not the picture in the Bible at all. It's not the picture of the life of Joseph that we're going to look at today. What's this attitude, this relationship of obedience with a father who loves us? How does it really work? And as I studied obedience in the scripture, I think it's, it's three things that are really coming together in our relationship with God. Would you write this down in your outline? That obedience is love plus trust plus action. That's the picture you see again and again in the lives of people of faith. Love plus trust plus action. Real obedience begins with love. It begins with God's love for you. Like it doesn't even begin necessarily with your love for God. It begins with God's love for you and your worship of him back. And out of that love comes trust. And trust means I believe that God does what he says. And I believe what God says. God knows things I don't. No, he understands things I don't understand. And when I don't understand it, God does. So that's why when life doesn't make sense, I can still follow him. Not because he's out to get me, 
but because he knows things I don't know and loves me in ways that I don't even understand yet. And out of this love, out of this trust, out of God's love for me and putting my trust in him comes action, comes action that you act based on that belief. And here's the important part is it takes all three. If you remove any one of these, if you have action without love, well, that's just rote religion. It's empty. It's meaningless. But if you uh, trust but don't ever put any action to it, well, that's just as, as meaningless, just as empty. It's what we do that makes the difference. So here's Joseph. He's in the middle of this situation that he does not understand. It does not make sense to him. And he begins to get some messages from God. Messages of here's what you should do. Here's where you should go. And even though he didn't always understand it, he decided to receive love from God, to put his trust in God and to act on it. In fact, when you study the Christmas account, you see Joseph has to make five decision, five decision points for Joseph. And none of them make sense. It's easy to follow God when it makes sense. But when life does not make sense, that's when it gets very tough. And Joseph is a great example. We'll look at the verses here, the passage, and I'll give you the point kind of summing up what he did. Matthew 1, 18 says, This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And you might ask, well, how in the world could that happen? Well, the same God who spoke the world into being, the same God who parted the Red Sea, the same God who rose Christ from the dead, created this miracle as well. It's one of the miracles of Christmas because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. He was just going to end this quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name of Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and took Mary home as his wife. There is just this refreshing immediacy, like Joseph woke up and he did what God asked him to do. God said it and he did it. And that is a sign, that is a mark of a great person of faith. What's the first thing that we learn from him? It's that if I'm going to follow God when it doesn't make sense, what's the secret? I've got a number one, I've got to do it now. Do it now. Joseph, when he heard from God, he acted. I've had the opportunity to meet several people uh, around the world even who are living great lives of faith. Some in our church family, some around this country, some around the world, some names you would know very well, some people you've never even uh, heard of them before, but they're making a big impact with their lives. And what I notice is there's a lot of differences between those people who are living great lives of faith. They come in all different shapes and sizes, all different personalities, different ways of looking at the world, different cultures, different things that they're passionate about. But there are a few common denominators that you find in each person that's living a great life of faith. And one of them is this. When God tells them to do something, when God says it, 
they immediately do it. They act upon it as quickly as possible. And that's living a great life of faith. That's living the kind of faith uh, that Jesus saw in Joseph and says, I want Joseph to be involved in this mega story that's happening that's going to change the world. I know for me, my faith is most vibrant when I'm doing this. When I hear from God and I act upon it. When it's clear what God wants me to do and I immediately do it. My faith is strong. It's kind of like uh, what the Bible talks about in Psalm 119.60. Let's read this out loud together. I will hasten and not delay to obey your commands. Like if you're going to do it, might as well do it now. Because the longer you wait, the more difficult it is. Let me illustrate this. Uh, maybe you've had this experience where you're at school or you're at work or you're with your family. And let's say uh, you say something to someone in the hallway at school or in the office or at dinner. And it just came out ugly. And God prompts you uh, later in the day, you know, you should really apologize to this person and you should go to them and you say, Lord, you're right. Uh, I'm going to go and, and apologize to them. And you're walking by them later in the hallway at school or you're walking by them at work or you're walking by their room at home and you go to do it and you think, tomorrow, I'm going to do it tomorrow. I'm going to apologize to them tomorrow. Let me ask you, does waiting another day, does that make it easier or harder to have that conversation? It makes it harder. There's no doubt about it. And Joseph doesn't, doesn't delay the hard thing that he's asked to do. First John 5, 3 through 5, this is John, follower of Jesus. He says, loving God means keeping his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And a lot of us would agree with a whole bunch of this, that God's calling us to do something, that put our faith in Jesus, the Son of God, and that we should do that now. Uh, but sometimes we look at this and say, but not, they're not burdensome, his commandments are not burdensome. Like they seem burdensome to me sometimes. But God doesn't mean for it to be burdensome. In fact, God's commandments are refreshing. They are life-giving. So what makes them burdensome in our lives? What makes God's commands burdensome in my life is me delaying doing them. Because the longer you wait, the more difficult it gets. Let me give you another picture of this, and it's just, again, a lighter illustration to make a bigger point here. But let's say you're asking one of your kids to take out the trash. We'll use that as an illustration. And you walk in or you're trying to throw something away and the trash is full and you say, would you please take out the trash? Is this how it happens in your life? They immediately jump up with wild-eyed enthusiasm and run to the trash and grab the bag and run it out to the container outside and dump it in and run back in and sit down on the couch panties. That was such a great experience. Is that how it happens in your house? No, what is, happens when you ask them to take out the trash? What do they say? Just a minute, just a minute. And so what do you do? In just a minute, you say, hey, would you please take out the trash? And they say, yeah, just a minute. And then later on, you go to throw something away again and the trash is still full. And is this getting easier on everyone involved or more burdensome? 
It's getting more burdensome. It's not an unreasonable request, but the longer they wait, the more the distress builds up. And now it's not even about the trash anymore, is it? No, it's not about the trash anymore. It's about something much bigger, much broader. And eventually what happens is you either take out the trash in anger yourself or you take it out on them in anger and it becomes a more difficult situation. And what could have been not burdensome became burdensome. And the same thing is true in my life with God when it comes to my relationship with God. God says it, but we wait to do it. And then it becomes burdensome so many times in our life. And here's what we're missing out on. When God says it and you eventually do it, the most refreshing sense of freedom bursts into your life. You want to know one of the most, no, the most things I hear as a pastor of this church is people get involved in something and I hear over and over again, why didn't I do that earlier? They'll go through something, uh, uh, come to church. Why didn't I do this earlier? They'll get connected to a small group. Why didn't I do that earlier? They'll go through a celebrate recovery. Why didn't I not do that sooner? They'll connect in serving and giving back in our church. Why didn't I do that sooner? They'll do something tough to, to make a relationship right. and say, Man, why didn't I do that earlier? And we're the ones who make it burdensome because we wait. We're afraid or we try to do it in our own strength. We wait because of someone else's opinion. But once we finally get it, we say, why did I wait to do what God called me to do? And Joseph's, Joseph's example is do it now. That's where you start. We see another thing that we can learn from Joseph as this encounter goes on and the next decision he had to make. It's in verse 25. It says, but he did not. So he's, he's come back to Mary here, but he says he did not consummate their marriage until he gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. So imagine you're this young man, Joseph. You're just getting married. You have an angel show up. The message is, by the way, Joseph, no honeymoon for you, no wedding night for you. And that's going to continue for months because God has a plan that you don't quite understand. And Joseph said yes to that. And Joseph had to keep saying yes to God's plan. And what do we have to do? Number two, we have to keep on trusting. It takes faith to stay the course. You obey immediately, and then you have to obey consistently. Some people are really good at the immediate. They jump right into things. They're not good at keeping them going. Other people, they're very good at being loyal, being faithful, keeping on going, but they're not willing to do what God is calling them to do. Joseph was good at both. I want to be good at both. That's one of the qualities that makes for a refreshing life of faith. When you look at Joseph, there were a lot of things he did not understand. In fact, Joseph is just getting these snippets. Like, we're, we're reading this through the lens of all the information we have. He's getting this in real time here. And he doesn't even understand the whole reason for the virgin birth. We have a whole New Testament that's describing the power of what's going on in there and God and human flesh. Joseph just knew what God had told him to do. And Joseph kept on trusting even though it was not working out as he planned. This was not the early marriage he had planned, but he kept on trusting. And one of the big questions of life is, what are you and I going to do when it's not working out as we have planned and we're only getting a narrow view of the whole story that's unfolding? The Apostle Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians 4, 8, that we are oppressed on every side by troubles, but not crushed and broken. 
We are perplexed because we don't know why things happen as they do, but we don't give up and quit. I love these two, three-word phrases. Don't know why, don't give up. I don't know why. Many times in life, we're holding on to both of these at the same time. Here's Paul, one of the greatest men of faith who have ever lived. And he says, I don't know why things always happen the way they do. I'm not God, but I know this. There's a God who loves me and I trust him. And he's, he has a plan that for our lives stretches all the way into eternity. And I know I can trust him with that. Even though I'm only getting one piece of the puzzle here, he sees all the other pieces. And when you don't know why in your life, you have a couple of choices. You can either say to God, God, you owe me an explanation. Or you can say to God, God, thank you for the gifts that you have given me. You can look at what you think God owes you. Or you can look at what he's already freely given you. And you have that choice. And Joseph makes the choice to just, even though I've only got this narrow piece right now, that I'm trusting God's working out something that's stretching all the way into eternity. And he keeps on trusting. Joseph made a third choice. He hears from, uh, uh, from an angel, and now the baby is born. And let's look at the next decision Joseph was faced with. It's in Matthew 2, verse 13. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared. And this is the, the wise men who had come with the three gifts. So when they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. And so he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. Joseph, Mary, they leave everything that they knew. They sacrificed everything that they knew. At the deepest level, they sacrificed every comfort they'd had. They'd been sacri they sacrificed this all along throughout the story. I think it's a warning for us. And that is number three, not to idolize comfort. The comfort of an engagement that was supposed to work out like they thought it would work out. The comfort of pregnancy and how that was supposed to work out. Here's Mary in late-term pregnancy uh, having to go down to Bethlehem. The comfort of how the baby was supposed to be born in this world. They're in a stable. They're putting Jesus in a feeding trough. The visitors are a bunch of smelly shepherds. And now here it is again. God's saying to them, you've got to get out of Israel and go someplace you don't know about, face an unknown culture, foods you don't know anything about, a lot of things that you've never experienced before, and you need to move to Egypt. And Joseph did it. He let go of all the comforts in his life, all those things that he was hanging on to, to hold on to God's word for him. And the truth of the matter is, if I'm going to follow God's plan in my life, I have to embrace being uncomfortable. Because when I stay comfortable, I don't grow. God's plan is to make me uncomfortable sometimes so that I grow, so that I change, so that I can be rewarded, so that I can be transformed and conformed into the image of God's Son. Following God's plan is often uncomfortable at first. It's uncomfortable to break a bad habit. It's uncomfortable to face a fear. 
It's uncomfortable to stay in a situation and stick it out and work it out. It's uncomfortable to forgive someone. It's uncomfortable to go somewhere unknown to you. But growth and change and reward are on the other side of that discomfort. And the challenge here is the temptation to hold on to the thing that was making you comfortable and reject the only one who can actually give you real comfort. 2 Corinthians 1.3 Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. So God did not come to make us comfortable, but he did come to give us comfort. And for many people, especially at Christmas, especially in December, we go back to old comforts. We go back to old habits, old patterns, old relationships, old frustrations, old ways of thinking, back to all the old stuff. And then they don't fulfill in the way that we would want them to. And so we'll say, okay, I'll get this cleaned up at the first of the year. And I just want to invite you this December to remember how important it is to look to the God of comfort, that the things of this world cannot truly give you comfort. Do not idolize comfort. Don't idolize comfort. But let's look at the next decision Joseph had to make in Matthew 2, 19. They're in Egypt, and it says, After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. And said, get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up. He took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. This took a lot of courage. What did Joseph have to do? He had to number four. He had to take a risk. He had to take a risk. Think about how scary this was for Joseph. All he has is this word of an angel and a dream, and he's taking his family back into danger if that word is wrong. But he totally trusts it and takes a risk, and he moves back to Israel. He obeyed courageously because he trusted. He took God at his word, and he obeyed. Psalm 56, 3-4. Let's read this out loud together. But when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. I praise God for what he has promised. I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? When was the last time you can remember taking a risk because of your faith? When is the last time you can remember taking some kind of risk because of your faith? Now let me be real clear about this because I know that the idea of risk has a lot of different ideas to us. Um, and there's different types of risk. One of them is what I would call a crazy risk. And a crazy risk is uh, saying, oh, I'm going to take a risk for God, but it's just, it's crazy. It's I'm going to take all the money out of the bank and put it on number seven, or I'm going to move all my investments into this one thing, or I'm going to go start this thing. I'm going to just put everything into this, this thing. And often, that's not a risk. That's an adrenaline rush in the name of God. But a lot of people, when they hear risk, that's what they think. They think of an adrenaline rush. I'm not talking about that kind of risk. Another kind of risk is a calculated risk. And a calculated risk is one where uh, you sit down and you're going through your finances and you, you decide, you know, we're going to move some of our money over here and, and into this type of investment. Or you're looking at your business and we're thinking we're going to build 
there or uh, you look at your kids and you think, you know, we need to make a change here. And so they're going to try this, this new thing. It's different, but it's a calculated risk. That's great, but that's not the kind of risk that I'm talking about right now. I'm talking about a Christ-like risk. When's the last time you took a Christ-like risk because of your faith? What's a Christ-like risk? It's the risk that Jesus took when he left heaven to come to earth and live his life for you and give his life for you, knowing that um, you might reject him and that people will reject him and people spit in his face, but he knew that others would turn to him and find his love in their lives would be change. It's the risk to serve. What's a Christ-like risk? It's a risk to serve. So very specifically, when was the last time you took the risk to serve someone? To love someone who's pretty unlovable? To forgive someone who's unforgivable? When was the last time you took the risk to even do something small for someone in the name of God? And often will do things for other people. When was the last time you say, I'm doing this because Christ's love compels me to do it. And we get so busy that we don't even take the risk. When's the last time you took the risk to serve someone? I talked to someone a few weeks ago who, they said, hey, we're going to have Christmas invites this year. And they're very passionate about handing out a Christmas invite. Because uh, he said, my life was changed through a Christmas invite. He says, my life was absolutely transformed because someone was willing to take the risk in a dark moment in my life. Um, where he says, honestly, a lot of people did not want to talk to me or be around me, and they took the risk. And uh, he says, that Christmas totally transformed my life, and it's never been the same. When's the last time you took a risk with your faith in your life to serve someone? It's the example of Joseph. It's God gives you a word and you move. But there's a fifth thing that you and I can learn from the life of Joseph, and that is something that God wants us to use. And number five is, let's put this up there, use your brain. Use your brain. You want to live a life of faith? A lot of people think that living a life of faith means you disengage your brain, that you put it in neutral. That's not it at all. Living a life of faith instead is engaging your brain with God, listening to him, connecting with him, hearing his direction in your life. Look at what Joseph did. I love this example. Matthew 2, 21. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. This lets us in on how Joseph heard from God in the situation, and he engages his mind. He doesn't just blindly walk up there and go there. He says, God, Archelaus is now king there. I'm not sure this is a good idea. What are you thinking about this? And God says, I'm glad you're thinking that, Joseph, and uh, you're actually going to go down the road, uh, not really where you thought you were going to go, where you're going to live, but you're going to go to Nazareth, and that's where Joseph had come from, and he says, that's a great idea, and he gauges his brain, engages his mind. They work through this together, and Joseph ends up in Nazareth, which is exactly where the Old Testament prophesied that Jesus would be. And he engages his brain with God. And he ended up doing exactly what God had intended for him. If you want to live the excitement, the freedom of obedience with God and in relationship with God, you have to hear from God and respond to what you hear. And if you look at Joseph's life, you might be thinking all the way through today, you might be thinking, well, he keeps meeting with an angel. 
Like he keeps having a dream where an angel shows up and says this and he does it. And you might think, well, yeah, it'd be a lot easier for me if, if an angel showed up and told me what to go and do. But what about me? How do I get these directions, this guidance in my life? And if you think it would be easier to hear from an angel, you got to remember Joseph hears from an angel in a dream one time and has to live with that for a long time. Like, have you ever in your life had a thing where you're like, this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm absolutely supposed to do this. But then you get down the road and you're like, Did I re- was that really the thing? Is that absolutely the thing? If you think it'd be easier, like, well, these disciples, they're following Jesus. They see in the miracles, they're connected to him. Well, let me remind you, Jesus died alone. Even in those moments, they're struggling. And so how do I get these directions? How do I get this guidance in my life? Well, not through an angel anymore. Because the New Testament tells us that Jesus is better than angels. And Jesus has given us his word. And the Gospel of John tells us that Jesus and his word are one. The word became flesh. And Joseph, five times in his life, four times, he has this meeting, five directions he gets in those meetings. What do we know about, that we know about? Just a few words and he does it. And you and I have word after word from God that you're struggling with this. Here's the direction you should take. You don't know what to do in this circumstance. Here's the comfort you can receive from God. And again and again and again, he gives us his life, his direction through his word. Jesus talked about this, Matthew 7, 24. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise like a person who builds a house on solid rock. You want to live a life that counts, you build it on God's guidance and God's word. You build it on Christ Jesus, our cornerstone. And when you read it, trusting in God, uh, God gives us a prayer that we can pray. It's in the Bible. And the prayer is this, Psalm 119.34. Let's read it together, and then we'll close in prayer. It says, Give me understanding, and I will obey your instructions. I will put them into practice with all my heart. Let's pray together. Father, you know us. And you know what's difficult for us. And you know it's difficult for us sometimes to follow you and to obey. To receive your love, to trust you, to act on it. We have our fears. We have our old ways of doing things. We get tired. We have all kinds of excuses. But God, we want, uh, we want a refreshing, rewarding life uh, that's modeled here by Joseph. We want to live out the, the destiny that you have for us. And we know we cannot live that out apart from you. We can't live it out unless we obey you. So God, help us, strengthen us. God, strengthen us to do it now. Give us strength to keep on trusting even when we don't understand. Lord, help us uh, to let go of the comforts that we idolize, that we begin serving here on earth. Lord, give us the faith to take a risk, risks to serve someone, risks to love others. Lord, help us uh, to use our brain to engage it with you and your word to see where you're leading and guiding us. God, we just look again at how deeply you care about us. You have a plan and a purpose for our lives that's above none other. Because you know us like no other person knows us. And God, you have nothing but good in mind for us in all of eternity. So we turn to you. We trust in you. God, strengthen us to obey you. We ask it in Jesus' name.
Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.